one and all, and welcome to Film Fragments, a podcast where we take fragments of an actor, director, or genre and tell you our favorites from their catalog. My name is Brian Suffield, I'm your host, and I'm very excited to welcome you guys to this week's episode of Film Fragments, where today, in honor of the highly anticipated, long-awaited Avatar The Way of Water, we are going to be talking about our favorite films directed by three-time Academy Award winner, James Cameron. And to join me today on talking about our favorite films directed by James Cameron is Matthew Anceloni. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. It's such an honor to have you on today. You have been very vocal about your love for James Cameron, and I cannot wait to delve into why you love the guy so much. But before we get into talking about James Cameron, I like to throw a curveball question at the start of these episodes. So choose wisely any answer is totally fine you have the opportunity to take one james cameron character out to dinner guy and girl whether it's with your family friends or just yourself which characters would you pick that's a tough one if i had to pick one it would be rose from titanic damn it you took my answer (laughs) sorry that's all good. Uh, it's all good. It's it's hard not to choose her. So why why would why would you pick her? She's one of the I feel like sometimes with James Cameron films, the character development is sometimes not the best part. But I thought Rose was very well developed. And she's someone I want to know, like, why did you not let Jack have some space on your door? How come how come you chose to do what you did? How come you threw your thing in the ocean, threw your necklace in the ocean? There's just so many questions I could go on and on. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So for me, the character I'm going to choose, honestly, I'm going to choose Harry from True Lies. Because why not? Ooh, that's good choice. You know, everyone's going to say, oh, I would like to have lunch with the Terminator, but Come on, Harry from True Lies, and we'll talk about True Lies later on. I would definitely. Oh yeah, it's definitely on this. I would, I would love to have a feast with him because I mean, one, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, and two, it's a very out of left field character for Schwarzenegger to play. So I kind of definitely want to choose that. I mean, again, I would have chosen Rose, and a close second would have been Jack Dawson, but I'm like, no, we can't just choose Titanic people. We have to acknowledge the other films of James Cameron's filmography, and so we are by talking about True Lies. So going into exactly a little bit about yourself before we get into James Cameron, talk about your journey with love and film. What got you into it? And why does Matt, why do you, Matthew, why do you love film so much? Well, I, I actually started getting to the Golden Globes first when I was like eight, but I didn't really get into movies and awards until I was like 10. It was actually Avatar, that one of the first film Oscar-nominated films I saw. And I remember trying to catch, I forget the name of it, but the little white like things that float in the air. Mm-hmm. The spirits, I think. Yeah, them. yeah. I remember trying to actually catch them. Like, mm-hmm. and I was seeing it in 3D, I remember trying to actually physically catch them. And that was just a moment that stuck with me. And ever since then, I've just been fascinated with filmmaking. And the rest is history. The rest is history, and we love that so much. We love, love, love to hear that. So now going into James Cameron, Oscar-winning filmmaker James Cameron. A lot of people appreciate 
what he brings to his craft as a storyteller visually and effects wise and all that stuff. But why do you think a lot of people get excited to see James Cameron's name slapped on the movie? Like what makes him as respective a filmmaker as so many others out there? Like, why do you think he's so beloved by so many people? I think, I think he makes movies that are not only enjoyable, but relatable to all audiences. Like some of my friends aren't cinephiles or film critics, but they're able to connect to a James Cameron movie easily. So I feel like he is able to connect to all audiences in a way that most directors just simply can't. Absolutely, absolutely. And regarding his scope, what makes him stand out compared to a lot of the other filmmakers that we have working today? Well, obviously it's the visuals. That's one thing. But I think the one thing I like about him is he's not afraid to do different things. Like, obviously he's doing Avatar 5 for, for like six years, but he also did Terminate. He did True Lies. He did a bunch of documentaries. Like, he's not afraid to do things differently outside his box. Yeah, I agree with you totally. He's one of those filmmakers that is able to balance out so many different things in one to where he could cater towards film geeks and cinephiles, but he's also able to find a way to give enough so that the average Joe movie audience person can be wowed by when watching one of his movies. And I mean, he's such a game changer with where film has gone these last few years. It's really impressive how dedicated and how much of a perfection he is. And I know some people could be like, okay, that's a little too much to be a perfectionist, but I feel like we're all perfectionists in our own way. And when it comes to what he's able to bring, you're like, oh my God, like enough, like shut up already. But then you see the product that he brings. And even if you're not wowed necessarily by the story, the scope is just something so unbelievable. And we'll talk about this a lot when going through our favorites from him, but he is one of those filmmakers that really cares about presenting incredible filmmaking and he doesn't shy away from that and he takes his time and i love a filmmaker that takes their time because there are some filmmakers out there that like to rush out their films like one every year and it's like slow down james cameron i mean look at the gaps that he's had these last 25 years like between titanic and avatar it was 12 years and now between avatar and avatar the way of water 13 years he's only made three movies in the last 25 years well, I mean, technically, if you factor in, it's it's insane. Like, it's crazy that he's only made that many films in the last 25 years. For the last, but exactly, it pays off and it's worth it. And I'm so excited to be talking about his films. I cannot wait to hear your list. I'm really curious to know what your top five are. So let's not waste any time. Let's just jump right into it. So, Matt, what is your number five favorite James Cameron film of all time? Now, Number five, I chose a documentary that he directed. Oh. He's done so many great documentaries, and one of them that sticks out to me is Aliens of the Deep. Oh. It's about underwater and all the creatures underneath it, which sounds boring. Like, when you hear that description, you're, you're like, ready to fall asleep. But it's just so visually well made and it still has James Cameron's stamp on it, even if it's a documentary. Like you could still feel like it's a James Cameron movie and you're learning something at the same time. 
I really like this movie because a again visually it's a it's one of the, it's a masterpiece it's like all of James Cameron's movies it's visually amazing but it, he's able to take something that sounds so boring on paper and make it so interesting and so fascinating and he's able to still grab the audience even if it's a an hour and a half documentary about the ocean that to me it just says a lot about his craft that he's able to do that yeah i have not seen this documentary i actually haven't seen any of the documentaries that he's directed and i mean it being helmed by him i'm sure he can make a documentary about water and oceans as compelling as you could possibly imagine so i definitely want to check those out for sure so going into my number five i'm gonna go with the film that i just mentioned when talking about what characters that i want to go out and feast with i'm gonna go with true lies as my number five so this is obviously probably the least james cameron movie that james cameron has ever directed this is a spy action comedy james cameron had never directed a comedy before he had done his action stuff and he had done some spy stuff before but he never did a straight up comedy before and who better to direct a movie like this than him because honestly he knocked it out of the park and i would love for him and i know he's not going to do this anytime soon i would love for him to go back to doing a smaller contained story as opposed to doing these big grand epic visual effects heavy movies and don't get me wrong they slap but true lies is such a fun time Arnold's absolutely fantastic here. He really has great charisma, great comedic timing. But Jamie Lee Curtis, I think, is just as good, if not better. She is hysterical in this. She should have been nominated for an Oscar for this. It's kind of unfortunate that her first Oscar nomination is going to be for Everything Everywhere All at Once, a movie that I am a huge fan of. But, my God, that performance is not Oscar-worthy at all. But this Oh man, she was so great. And I really can't comment too much on it because I haven't seen it in so long, but I remember being very entertained by it. And I was just so impressed that James Cameron was doing something out of his wheelhouse while still incorporating some James Cameron isms into the movie. I I really, really, really enjoy True Lies very, very much. Are you going to pass or is this not on your list? This was number six. It was ridiculously close to making it. Oh, man. So what are your thoughts on this movie? Again, it's super funny. It doesn't feel like a James Cameron movie, but yeah, it does at the same time. Jamie Lee Curtis deserves the world. So that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. And and yeah, I thought, I think in terms of like written, like screenplay-wise, this is probably one of his better films. Definitely, definitely. Absolutely. So... Now going into our number four is what is your pick? Rambo, First Blood, Part Two. Interesting, interesting. I didn't expect us to mention a film that he didn't direct, but we like to take risk on this show, so we'll allow Rambo, First Blood, Part Two. So why is this your number four? Now, I chose this because, he, again, he covered up the screenplay first, so I felt like it was safe enough to pick. He produced it and wrote the screenplay, so. 
And two, I chose it because it was not directed by James Cameron, but it felt like he directed this movie. Like, like the screenplay, like you could tell, you could see his paw prints all over. Like it's big, it's epic, but it's also intimate at the same time. And I think one of the things I like is he does so many action films. Like most of his filmography is action films. Terminator, which we'll get to, I'm sure. And Rambo First Blood. But I think this one stands out because he takes the sequel to a movie, but yet makes it even better than the first one. I have not seen Rambo First Blood Part 2. I've only seen the first one, and I saw the most recent one that came out. First Blood was great. I loved it. But the new one that came out, I thought was absolutely terrible. So... I definitely want to check this out for sure. I think it's cool that he co-wrote a film with Stallone. I think that's just an interesting pairing that I never thought would happen. But it definitely makes me want to watch it. So I'm definitely going to add it to the list for sure. So now going into my number four, I'm going to go with The Terminator, the very first film of this big, long-spanning franchise. Now, what I find really impressive about this movie is that it's not really a sci-fi film. I mean, yes, it has elements of a sci-fi film, but it honestly feels more so like a contained horror film because Arnold's presence as the T-1000, it's very terrifying to watch. And again, it's impressive to see this very low-budget, self-contained horror story mixed with elements of sci-fi and I think what adds to that greatly are the performances. Arnold, I think, is incredible. With as little dialogue as he has, I think his presence really adds to the fear that is invoked to us as the audience. And he is so captivating to watching this. But Linda Hamilton, as Sarah Connor, steals the show. She is absolutely dynamic. She... Yes, she is definitely a damsel in distress in the story, and they kind of play along with that trope. But by the end, you find her to be pretty badass, and it says a lot, especially from Linda Hamilton's performance. And I want to shout out, um, <clears throat> I want to shout out Michael Bean as Kyle Reese, who is the soldier that I sent back in time to protect Sarah Connor. He is fantastic in this. He is so good. And I think one of the reasons that this movie may not have worked, if the chemistry between these two was flat, the entire movie probably wouldn't have worked. But because the chemistry was very compelling and engrossing, it worked out greatly. And there are so many action sequences in this film that are so well done. Sure, some of them may look a little dated, but then again, you have to realize that this movie came out almost 40 years ago. So, of course, some of the visual effects are not going to hold up as well. But for the most part, I think it still stands out and finds a way of still looking pretty great for where we are now visual effects and i hate to say it but there are some films that come out nowadays that have way worse visual effects in this movie from 1984 and that's that's not a good sign that's not a good sign but but i love what cameron was able to bring and utilize to this story and he co-wrote the screenplay with the very talented gail ann hurd who most people may know for later on being one of the had people behind the walking dead and she she also deserves a massive round of applause for all the work that she did alongside james cameron 
yeah, I love the Terminator so much. And it's so impressive that there was so much miniatures and stop motion animation utilized here. And again, I find it impressive that Arnold Schwarzenegger, who really hadn't had that much of an acting background prior to this. I mean, he had done a few movies, but this was a performance that really catapulted his career. The Terminator was such a global phenomenon. And then a lot of people were like, oh my God, this Arnold Schwarzenegger guy, he's actually quite good. And he works for what the Terminator character is. And for this movie being only just 100 minutes long, I mean, it flies by. There's not an ounce of fat to be found. It's so compelling. And it's really impressive stuff. And the fact that this costs $6.4 million, just you wait until Terminator 2 gets brought up to where the budget difference is incredibly massive. And that's all I'll say. I can't wait to hear the difference. So, oh man, just just you wait. It's something, something else. So regarding the Terminator, the very first Terminator, are you going to pass or is this not on your list? It's not on my list. Oh man. I have, here's the one thing I notice when I do these lists is that I like to pick the films that the director or the actor challenged themselves in. I don't like when they do the same thing over and over again. Absolutely. My top, my top two are more obvious. I will say that. I'll mm-hmm. state that for the record. Yes. But like for my three, four, and fifths, I like to do. That's my other cat. My three, four, and fifth spots. I like to pick movies that are different than you may think. Oh wow, I never heard of that. But he directed it, so I have to go see it now. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, definitely. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm really curious to hear what your top three films are. So now going into our number threes, what is your pick? My number three is Aliens, not Aliens. Not Aliens. For for anyone listening at home, James Cameron did not direct Alien, and Ridley Scott did not direct Aliens. So everyone just get that through your fucking thick skulls. I'm just kidding. I love all you guys so much. But yeah, Aliens from 1986. So why is this your number three? Well, it's not easy to for a director to pick up where another director left off. It is virtually impossible. But yet somehow James Cameron is able to take Ridley Scott's universe and makes it even better. Like obviously Sigourney Wheeler gives an incredible performance and Oscar-nominated performance, and frankly, she deserves way more love than she has gotten in her career. But but one thing I like about this movie is, like, yes, of course, it's sci-fi, of course, it's action, but yeah, it's all about a little girl who just needs to be protected. And it's interesting to see that, that story about a little girl who's just trying to feel protected among the sci-fi, the action, the thrill, like the thrill, thriller, like it's like so fascinating to see that James Cameron. If you look closer at his movies, you all always will see it like a little tiny sub story among the glitz and the glam and the visual effects and the camera work. And I think Aliens really shows that. It still shows that little girl and the humanity among the sci-fi, among the action, and among the thriller. Yeah, it's crazy that James Cameron was able to take what really Scott had started 
and expand on it a lot further and deliver something pretty exceptional. And what I love about these two films in particular is that they're both so drastically different from each other. The first Alien from 1979, that's a straight-up horror movie. That's it really is. a literal horror movie. And then the sequel that James Cameron directed is, yes, there's some horror elements incorporated into it, but really it's more of a sci-fi action set piece. And it could have been very jarring since they're both in the same universe, but they're so drastically different from one another. But James Cameron is able to balance everything that you love about the original Alien, take elements of that, but also sprinkle in some of what he was able to present and deliver something that I think is pretty exceptional and one of the best sequels probably ever. I mean, it's really hard. It's really hard to look at this movie and not be impressed with what James Cameron was able to pull off. And like Matt was saying, there are some filmmakers that are able to take what a director started and incorporate what they did. It's kind of reminds me of a lot of what, finally enough, another really Scott movie. Really Scott had made the original Blade Runner in 82. And then what Denis Villeneuve did with 2489 over 30 years later, I mean, that could have been a flop easily. But it managed to find a way of not only being on the same level as the original, but it found a way of honestly being better than the original. And the original is a celebrated sci-fi film, and the sequel is now another celebrated sci-fi film. So, yeah, it's really impressive stuff. It's truly impressive stuff. Unfortunately, Aliens did not make my list. This was right outside the list for me. I love the film so much. I love both of the Alien films, the original two. I'm a big fan of both of them. But, yeah, I... It was hard to omit that from the list, but I really, really, really do love the movie. And yeah, I I can't really take away from what you said and add anything new because you pretty much took all the words right in my mouth. So now, and now going into my number three, I'm going to go with Avatar from 2009. So look, here's the thing. I know that there are a lot of people out there that don't like Avatar, and I get it. I understand. The story is not the best. James Cameron isn't exactly the best when it comes to writing. I'm sure I'm not the first one to admit that, but it's true. He's not the best when it comes to writing. However, 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 the scope that he presents here is absolutely incredible. Now, When I saw this film, when it first came out in 09, I was 11 years old. I honestly think I was the perfect age to watch it. Just like I was so wild. My 11-year-old self was so wild watching it. In IMAX 3D, I was like, wow, this world is just so immersive. It's so cool. It's so exciting. And then watching it again as an adult, I didn't know if it was going to hold up for me. I really had no idea how I was going to feel about it 13 years later. So when they re-released it a few months ago, I went to go see it and I was like, yep, this movie still slaps. I think it's a fantastic film. I think it's so exciting. This is the kind of blockbuster that I love to see. Now, look, the story is not the best. It's something that we've seen before. And I'm sure, and I'm sure James Cameron has admitted it himself. Like this isn't anything groundbreaking when it comes to the story, but the technology on display and the filmmaking that Cameron showcases here is why you go see this movie. And it's so impressive. The visual effects still look incredible 13 years later. 
And people wonder why this was such a game changer for cinema. I mean, this really catapulted 3D for better or worse, because now a lot of movies following this were post-converted to 3D, which wasn't a very good thing. But having a movie that was pretty much made for 3D like this, this is the kind of movie that you go see in 3D. And going into how I feel about the movie itself, yes, the story isn't exactly the best, but there are so many emotional beats to it that really still get to me, even as an adult. And I think the action set pieces are fantastic. I think the acting, for the most part, is pretty great. I'm very vocal about not really liking Sam Worthington as an actor. I will admit that in terms of the other actors in this film, he's probably the weakest link, which is unfortunate because he's the lead of the movie. But I feel like it makes sense for the character to be pretty hollow and bland and one note, but you find a way of still being compelled by Jake Sully on screen, especially that epic speech that he gives in the third act of the movie. It's just so like, wow, this is awesome. This is so exciting. Zoe Saldana, in my humble opinion, I know that when it comes to the Academy, they're not going to recognize performances that are heavily relying on motion capture. I mean, they did my boy Andy Serkis dirty. They still do him dirty, which is so unfortunate. But Zoe Saldana in particular was so incredible in this. I thought she was a badass, of course, as Nintiri. But she also just had a lot of emotional gravitas because she's watching her home be taken and being destroyed and being ruined. And she trusted Jake Sully. And when she realizes his true colors, it it absolutely breaks her apart. And it's so devastating to watch. And Stephen Lane, he is so delicious as the colonel. He is a fantastic villain. I don't care if a lot of the lines he says are ton-in-cheek and cheesy and stupid and cliched and everything. He is so fucking good at playing villains. I love him in this so much. And I want to give a shout out uh, once again to Sigourney Weaver, who is amazing, amazing as Grace. She is great. When you first meet her, you're like, wow, what a fucking bitch. Oh, my God. But you understand why she's the way she is. And then you get to know her more. And you're like, you know what? She's really not that bad of a person. And I loved, I love her in this so much. And I'm so happy that she... And continue to work with James Cameron after Aliens. I think it's so exciting that now they have this friendship and relationship together, work and relationship together. Avatar really shockingly held up for me. I really didn't think that it was, it was, wow. It's so shocking to me that Avatar found a way to hold up for me. I really thought that watching it as an adult, I was going to like it way less but for some reason, I like it a little more because there were so many things that went over my head as a kid when I first saw it. And then as an adult, I mean, the messages that are conveyed are like they're in your face for sure, but you just find a way of being so compelled. And for me, if this movie weren't long, I don't know if it would have worked. My thing is there are some movies that come out that have lengthy runtimes that don't need to be as long as they are. I'll, I will admit that. And there's some movies that definitely benefit from a longer runtime because then everything feels rushed. This movie clocks in at about two hours and 40 minutes. And I'm sure there's sequences that could be cut down or cut out, 
But when I rewatched the movie, I'm like, I can't really find anything that I would take out because I was so engrossed the entire time. And I'm shocked. I'm shocked. And I think the people that are like, Avatar sucks. They're just saying that just for the heck of it. Unless you have really valid reasons as to why you don't like Avatar, that's one thing. But I know that there are people out there just to say Avatar sucks just to jump on the bandwagon. It's like, what's the point? Is there really a point of doing that? I love the movie very much. I think it's great. I think it holds up very, very well. And we'll talk about our hype for the sequel at the end of this episode. But yeah, I'm I'm so ready to go back into this world. And that's all I'll say for now. So Matt, are you going to pass or is this not on your list? I'm going to pass. I'm very curious to know where it is on your list. If it's number two or number one. So I'm really curious for you to tell me what your second favorite James Cameron film of all time is. It's Avatar. Aha! I called it. I knew it. I knew it. It wasn't that far behind. I knew it. Like, the whole time you were talking, I was able to hear most of your conversation about Avatar. And in my head, I'm just like, he doesn't know it's my number two. He doesn't know it's my number two. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, to mention a little bit about Sigourney Weaver and Zoe Saldana, both of those performances were excellent, and I feel like if it wasn't in a sci-fi movie, it probably would have got recognized. I feel like sometimes in the Academy, there's like a genre bias. Like, it's like, you're in a superhero movie, you can't be nominated, or you're in a sci-fi movie, you can't be nominated. And it's so ridiculous because so many great performances get overlooked. And I hope one day that'll get fixed. But Avatar is probably one of James Cameron's most creative films, if not the most creative film he's done. Again, we talked about, you mentioned the story itself being kind of boring, kind of plain. And it's true. But he's easily able to make up for it with his visual facts and his directing. He's able to make a I believe it's two and a half hour movie feel like 30 minutes like like when the movie ends you just want more and and thir- and tomorrow night people will get more people will <laughs> finally get more after 13 years yeah at the time of this recording um we're seeing avatar in less than 24 hours but by the time this episode's up the whole world will finally be able to see avatar it's crazy it's absolutely insane exactly the phenomenon that this has become is just crazy to me and it's just not not to talk too much about the sequel yeah we'll save that for later but again it just feels so surreal that we're actually going back to this world after so long it's it's crazy it's absolutely insane like Um, yeah like there's now a hotel in disney world related to avatar like it's crazy to think about how much the Avatar world really affected us. Seriously, 100%. So now my number two, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, my second favorite film in James Cameron's catalog, very fittingly. A number two is my number two of James Cameron. Okay, so as I said before, the first Terminator film cost $6 million to make. Terminator 2... I'm not even joking when I say this. The budget was like 12 times more 
than what it oh, was. Yes. So, going from a $6 million budget, Terminator 2, according to a lot of sources that I looked up, between 94 and $102 wow. million. Dollars. Now, keep in mind, at the time, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Nowadays, we get a lot of blockbusters that cost at least $100 million, so it may not seem like a lot. I mean, it's still a lot of money. Yeah. But like, for 30 years ago, that's a lot of money. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about this movie. The visual effects in this are absolutely monumentally jaw-droppingly incredible and again what i love so much about this particular film is that even though it's in the same universe as the first film it is so drastically different in terms of style you could tell right away that james cameron was given a lot more money to make this number two obviously it's set many years after the first one we're jumping ahead by <clears throat> oh man i'm trying to think of how far we jumped ahead probably at, le- at like at least 10 years if i'm not mistaken yeah like 10 10 years i would say it's been a long time since i've seen this movie and it's great it's so good um and now also another significant difference is arnold as the terminator yeah, he's back as the <clears throat> Oh, I can't talk. Oh my god. He's back as the Terminator. And so wow, I I, I really can't talk tonight. Oh my it's god. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> this has never happened to me before. Um and something else that's also very different about this movie is Arnold Schwarzenegger's portrayal as the Terminator. Now, in the first one, he's in a very intimidating, villainous role. This time, he's here to protect John Connor. Yeah. He is a complete 180 of who he was in the first one. And it just shows how much of a talented performer Schwarzenegger is because to go from playing that villainous performer, to go from playing that villainous character to now play essentially a hero. I mean, what a shift. And what a shift done so beautifully. And I loved him in this movie. And then again, Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor. She went from being the exactly. dancer in distress to literal badass. And I love reading the stories about how she literally bulked up. Like, she got so jacked for this she movie. She did. She really and it's did. In- it's incredible. It's incredible. And the action sequences on display here are absolutely fantastic. A lot of people do talk about the chase sequence on the freeway. And it really is as incredible as people say it is. But also, I think the stakes are a lot higher this time around. There's a lot more presented here that makes you on the edge of your seat. And a lot of it honestly has to do with the terrifying turn from Robert Patrick, who is so fucking good in this movie. He is absolutely incredible in this. And I love how despicable and vile and evil he is. He is the T-1000. Yeah. And he, oh my God, like the sequence where he just melts and he just goes through those bars. And somehow, somehow that still looks great. It does. movie's, this movie's over 30 years old, and the visual effects in this still look amazing. It reminds me so much of Jurassic Park to where you watch that movie, 
and the visual effects on display are so groundbreaking for the time, but then they find a way of still looking very good in the 2020s. I don't yeah. understand how it's possible, I, but I for either. some reason, it works so beautifully. It's really impressive stuff, and I love everything that Cameron puts on display in this movie, and it's also a very emotionally engrossing sequel as well. I'm not going to lie. I get emotional every time I've watched this movie at the end where he goes into the fire and sacrifices himself and gives the thumbs up as he's melted. It's so good. It's really great stuff. And this, to me, was the true ending of the Terminator storyline because everything that came after this does not exist. Does not exist. Seriously, Straya, but does not exist. I mean, the timeline for this series is so fucked up and all over the place. It's like the Halloween franchise. You need a map like, just to keep up with it. Exactly. It's literally like the Halloween franchise where there's so many fucking timelines and you're like, what order do I go in? It just makes no sense at all. But Terminator exactly. 2 finds a way of not only being one of the best sequels ever made but it also finds a way of being one of the best action films ever made it really changed the game for action filmmaking it changed the game for sci-fi filmmaking and it just changed the game for sequels because that first terminator was so beloved and so respected that a lot of people were like how is he gonna top the first terminator and also like why do we need a sequel especially this much later after the first one exactly. but again james cameron is someone who takes his time with presenting his stories he took seven years, seven years to make this sequel. And you could tell that the guy wanted to take his time. And exactly. it, it succeeds greatly. I love Terminator 2. It's a truly fantastic sequel. It's one of the best ever made. And it's one of those cases where the sequel is better than the first. Although I can't say if I like the first one more than this one. But if I'm being really honest with myself, I do think I like this one more than the first. So... I would too. So obviously, if I'm not mistaken, this has to be your number one. Am I right or am I wrong? You are wrong. Oh, but my number one is obvious. I will state that. Let's hope it is obvious. I feel like we have the same number one. So yeah, yeah I think so too. So Matthew, what is your favorite James Cameron film of all time? Titanic. 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 All right, so let's go on the whole spiel about Titanic. Why is Titanic your favorite James Cameron film of all time? <laughs> well, I remember growing up and growing up and learning about the Titanic story. I was like, wow, I wonder what this actually looked like. And then I saw Titanic and it blew my mind. Like how they were able to recreate the ship. Like that movie it was the first time I really paid attention to production design and costumes and hair and makeup. But that was the first movie that made me realize there's more than just the actors and the director. Like it, it made me pay attention to the crafts in a way that I never really looked at it until then. Kate Winslet and Gloria Stewart as Rose, because yeah, they're both the same character. Both of them are excellent in it. Leonardo DiCaprio is Jack. Excellent. Kathy Bates, I forget the name of her character, but Kathy Bates in the movie. Excellent. I think this is one of, if not the only movie that I felt his characters were super well developed. Like, I feel like sometimes his characters could be forgotten sometimes. 
his movies because it's so focused on visual effects. This, to me, he really thought about the characters and he really wanted them to have an impact on the story. I mean, the ending of that movie is something I'll never forget. And, it, and I think James Cameron, the way he did it, and had the very last scene being Rose reunited with Jack on the Titanic, is something that is just perfect. It's perfection. There's no other way to put it. I think to me, to me, this is the movie I love to see from him. Something that pays attention to every craft, every visual, every acting, every directing, every screenplay, everything is just perfect and well made. Titanic is also my favorite James Cameron film, and it's also one of my favorite films of all time. Same. I remember watching Titanic for the first time when I was a teenager, and I was so floored by... I think a lot of people walk into Titanic expecting one thing and end up getting the other. Now, exactly. obviously, Titanic being you know a real thing that happened and this movie obviously not focusing on real-life people that were on the ship. Instead, it focuses on the star-crossed romance yeah. between Jack and Rose, two drastically different characters. Um, played, I mean, you mentioned it beautifully. Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, their chemistry is off the charts brilliant. They're so good in their roles. Can't picture anyone else playing them. Their Same. chemistry really is is what makes or breaks the movie. If the chemistry does not work, the whole movie does not work. This exactly. is a romance first. But what I love so much about this film is that it's two completely different movies. And it finds a way of balancing these two different movies so well. The first half of this movie straight up is a romance movie. It it's really is. up to Jack and Rose's romance and them fighting each other and them falling for each other and so much build up to that. And then the second half is the disaster movie. It's the Titanic yeah. sinking for, you know, over an hour and a half. And yeah, this movie is very long. This movie clocks in at three hours and 15 minutes. And does it feel long? Nope. Yes. What? Well, hold on. Let me rephrase that. Does it feel long? Yes. Does it feel three hours and 15 minutes long? No. There are movies that feel longer than this that have shorter exactly. run times. And that's, the, that's, that's a bad thing. But that comes to show good editing when it's utilized. Yes. I have to talk about the craft on display here. The craftsmanship here is just so jaw-droppingly good. Them rebuilding the Titanic basically has always impressed me. That has always wowed me. And I cannot believe that they actually went to those lengths to rebuild in the ship. And like, I, I literally don't understand how they pulled it off, but they pulled it off so well. Like, kudos to the whole production design team like they deserve a massive round of applause truly yeah. they didn't miss a single detail no they did not the, i i was listening to a friend's podcast where they talked about titanic and every single plate had the engravement of white star line on it and james cameron wanted to make sure that the detail was there because he knew that somebody would be like, that's not something's off about that. No, James Cameron yeah. is a perfectionist and he, he really the detail. It literally looked like the Titanic was 
risen up and just repainted. It looked like the Titanic that we had seen images of. It's so impressive how he was able to do all this. It's incredible. It's unbelievable. Now, I have to talk about the score. You didn't bring up the score. and Oh, like, I want to save that for you. I, 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 I'm glad you saved that for me because I have a lot to say. James Horner, God, dude, I mean, rest in peace, truly. What a devastating yeah. loss. You were one of the yeah, finest yeah. composers that we ever had. The score for this is absolutely magical, and it's also incredibly thrilling. The balance of the two tones is so impressive to me, and someone like James Horner was able to do that so beautifully because he had a very interesting lineup of scores where he could do these very fun family-esque scores, but then he could also do these very bombastic, thrilling, epic yeah. scores. I love the range that he had as a composer, and I'm so devastated that he's no longer with us Same. because he really was one of the most talented composers working today. It's definitely going to be sad watching Avatar The Way of Water knowing that he didn't compose it, but I'm sure whoever took the helm from him also like was shocked and they don't yeah. know how to live up to James Horner, but I'm sure they do a great job. I'm sure I like, so I, I, I'm sure they do great. But going back to this movie for a second, the score is great. The costumes nailed it. I felt like I was watching the film in the time period it was set in. I Same. love, 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 love the cinematography. It's absolutely gorgeous to look at. A lot of practical effects, very little CGI, but also the sequences where it's nighttime and they're on the ship on the outside especially the on flying jack sequence there's a reason why it's yeah. one of the most celebrated scenes in film history exactly like there's a reason why the score has a lot to do with it the performances from leo and kate have a lot to do with it but also just the imagery of it it's so stunning to look at it's absolutely gorgeous and i love that so much and really when it comes to the final half of this movie where it's the Titanic sinking. Even though you know what's coming, you know that yeah. it's sinking, you're still on the edge of your seat. And I've seen this movie so many fucking times. I can't even tell you how many times I've seen it. Same. I still am on the edge of my seat every single time I watch this. Every single time. And that says a lot. That's the power of a good film where you watch it so many times, you know exactly where it's going, but you're still just like, wow. Like, you're blown away by what was presented on screen. Yeah. And it's really incredible filmmaking. And I will tell you that when I found out this one best picture, I was not surprised, but I also was surprised at the yeah, same, same time. The reason why I was not surprised was because, you know, it's... It's Titanic. It's, it's a film about Titanic, and, you know, it feels very much along the Academy's reigns, but it's also a three-plus-hour epic, and I'm like, yeah. there's no way the Academy will go for that, but they didn't shy away from a warning three-plus-hour epics at that point. Braveheart won Best Picture. Yeah. Lord of the Rings won Best Picture a few years after that. And this film Oscars. was And this film was nominated for 14 Oscars, the most nominated Oscars in history. There has only been three films that have gotten this many Oscar nominations. Uh, one of them was All About Eve, and the other was later on La La Land. Yep. And this is the most awarded film to win Oscars. It won 11 Oscars, and the only other films that have that achievement are Ben-Hur and Return of the King. 
The yep. only Oscars that this film did not win, it got two ads and nominations. It didn't win either of those. And the other Oscar it didn't win. I'm pulling it up right now. Excuse me, everyone, while I do this live on air. Makeup, which, okay, little, which is not surprising. Which is not surprising. Honestly, it's not that severe of a loss, but let's look over what it won. It won picture, director, editing, cinematography, costume design, art direction, score. Oh, of course, song. Uh, my heart would go on. Fantastic song. It won both sound awards and it won yep. visual effects. And it, I mean, I cannot stress enough the visual effects in this are impeccable. This is oh, one of exactly. the best films visually I have ever seen. Again, how they were able to do this with very little CGI is so impressive. And there are some moments, not too many, where the CGI it doesn't look very yeah. good. But 98% of the time, the CGI in this looks fantastic. And there's moments where I'm like, was that CGI or was that not CGI? It's hard to tell because of what he was able to bring. But again, with this being a romance story in its core, you need to have a compelling romance. And this is one really of the best does. on-screen romances I have ever seen. Again, the dynamic between Jack and Rose is so powerful and so palpable. And I love how they're both very different people. Jack is obviously very low class, but he's more of an adventurous person, while Rose is very upper class, but she is very introverted. She's so recluse to this environment that she has stuck herself in, and she wants to go out there and do more stuff. She wants to go on adventures. She wants to express who she really is. She doesn't want to follow this whole formula that she has to go through when being engaged to Cal played phenomenally phenomenally by the wonderful billy zane oh my god the entire ensemble here is incredible Thanks. you brought up before you're like i don't remember kathy bates name oh my god dude you're not a true fan if you don't remember her name friggin <laughs> it's molly, been a while it's Mo- been molly, like five years molly friggin brown that's who she is molly <laughs> friggin brown incredible stuff such an endearing character like seriously also I cannot forget to mention Bill Paxton as Brock Lovett. First of all, what a yeah. weird fucking name. Obviously, a James Cameron standard. This was obviously James Cameron yeah. saying, oh, here's me in this movie. Because, I mean, it's so obvious. It's so obvious. But, yeah, the entire ensemble here knocks it out of the park. I mean, it blow, they blow everyone out of the water. And, seriously, the filmmaking here is just so incredible. And I never thought that this would be a film that I would love more as an adult because as I got older, I'm like, oh, this is just a girly movie. No, it's a movie that no. everyone can enjoy. And the people out there that are like, oh, it's just a girly movie, that you haven't sat yourself down to really watch this movie. You look at the poster and you see that it's Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet kissing and, you know, on the ship and everything. Her yeah. journey, I'm flying, Jack. But it's more than just that. It's... It's a beautiful film, and I love it so much. I really do, and I never thought that I would love a movie where it's like, oh, first love in two days. I'm like, all right, come on. You've only known each other for three days, but they found a way to really change each other in ways that neither of them were expecting, and yeah, still 25 years later. I mean, that ending. That ending is so... Top five endings of all time. 
I mean, not I only because it. of the score, but it's just so beautiful because you realize the detail in it. I'm sorry, spoil. If you haven't seen Titanic at this point, I'm sorry. You're 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 dumb. I, I feel sorry. sorry for you. Like it's been 25 years. Come on already. So that ending is just so interesting to me, and I don't know if you ever noticed this particular detail. So obviously, it's everybody that died on the ship. Yeah, and. You know, she goes up to Jack and everything. You see the whole camera panning around as they're kissing, and then you see everybody. Think about how, if you look very closely, the last person that claps is the captain. Wow. I didn't notice that until very recently. I rewatched the movie this week in preparation for this episode, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, I've seen this movie probably 30 times. I never noticed that detail. Yeah, you gotta watch the ending for yourself right after we hop off this call and be like, "Oh my God, Brian was right." Yeah. What an interesting detail. <laughs> no, Titanic slaps. It's so fucking good. It's one of the best films ever made. One of my favorite Best Picture winners. One of the most timeless Best Picture winners. One of the more popular Best Picture winners. But yeah, honestly, it deserves Best Picture. It really did. I I mean, maybe there were other films that were objectively better than titanic that came out that year but there's a reason why a lot of people still talk about titanic and it's a game changer for visual effects still holds up greatly again i don't know how james cameron was able to balance a romance and a disaster movie and make it into one but he knocked it out of the park it's my favorite film that he's done i think it's the best film he's ever done and i'd be curious to see if he ever tops this i don't know if he ever will maybe filmmaking wise maybe with avatar the way of water but story wise and rewatchability i mean this is some of the smoothest three hours that i have ever come across in a movie i can watch this movie over and over again it's so long it's so long that's the beauty yeah it doesn't feel like it and it doesn't feel like it yeah, it feels long, but it does not feel three hours long. If anything, it feels maybe like under two hours long. Yeah. It's impressive stuff. I get power to great filmmaking. Titanic, the best film that James Cameron has ever done. Love it so much. Holds up greatly. Yeah. I will never stop praising it. And Same. to everyone out there that hasn't seen Titanic, for some weird reason, you need to do yourself a favor. Sit your ass down and watch yeah. that movie immediately because Same. you will be blown away. Maybe you won't be blown away, but at least you could say to yourself, I sat down and watched all three yeah. hours and 15 minutes of Titanic. And those are my thoughts on that. Oh, I went on a whole thing. spiel. I just yeah. – I, I love that movie so much, and I just – I had to go all out because, wow, it's a truly remarkable watch, and – uh, the craft is impeccable, and the entire film finds a way of still holding up yeah. to this day. It's impressive. Um, I have a quick little note about about Titanic and its budget. It's two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred million dollars, two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred million dollars. But yeah, um, it, he went to Fox, James Cameron, and they're like, "This is way too long. There's no way we can afford this." And finally, and James Cameron went behind Fox's back and p- called Paramount Pictures. To That's ask right. Them to do it. And then both of the studios just decided to team up on it, so they split the budget in half. Because keep in mind, for a lot of people who are watching back then, two hundred million dollars was a lot of money for a studio to have. Nowadays, it's nothing, but back then it was huge. So. For two studios to team up on it is almost unheard of. 
Especially and, they, and they made their money back because for 12 years, this was the highest grossing movie of all time, made over $2 billion. And it's impressive that they found a way for this movie, this three plus hour romance disaster movie that wasn't yeah. based on any IP or anything. No. To become the highest grossing film of all time for 12 years. years. And then to be overtaken by his follow-up to Titanic. Yeah, exactly. It's insane. It's insane to me that for the past 25 years, James Cameron has been in the top three highest grossing films of all time. It's insane to me that that happened. And seriously, I I mean, bravo to him. And there's probably going to be another billion dollars added to it because the film's being re-released early next year so like and i will one thousand percent go oh me too i'll be there so i will probably see it 20 times i'm not even the shame to admit it but yeah it's crazy to me that the doubt that this studio had these studios had they're like oh this film's not gonna work this this is not gonna work we're gonna lose so much money off this you be you not only did you get 11 freaking oscars you got two over two billion dollars of exactly gross. like everybody went to go see this multiple times families teenagers adults everybody went to go see this exactly over and over and over again and we unfortunately don't really get a lot of movies like that anymore which is a shame we really it is an absolute shame but titanic being that film for that time is really saying a lot. I mean, we could go on and on about Titanic. We could talk about it for an eternity if we really want. Yeah, we really could. But, I mean, what else can you say that hasn't been said about Titanic? Truly one of the greatest films of all time. We both obviously love it very, very much, and that's why it's our number one. So before we get into talking about our excitement for James Cameron's next film, let's recap our list from five to one. So, Matt, what is your list? Give me one second. I was looking up Titanic, so I just need a second. Okay. Give me one second. Okay, got him. Aliens of the Deep. That was my number five. My number four. Jeez. Keep losing my list. My number four was Rambo 2, First Blood Part 2. My number three was Aliens. My my second was Avatar, and my number one was Titanic. And to recap my list, coming in at number five, we have True Lies, number four, The Terminator, number three, Avatar, number two, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, and number one, of course, Titanic. So that is it with our list. So let's talk about now our anticipation for Avatar, The Way of Water. I'm so, so excited. Matt, why are you very excited for this? Like, talk about your anticipation for this film. Why are you very excited to see this? First off, it's been 13 years since we had a James Cameron directed movie, which has been way too long, but I know I know it's not his fault. So I know it's gonna be a masterpiece because James Cameron directed it. I'm most curious about the score out of all the technicals. Because, again, like you mentioned before, stepping in James Horner's shoes will not be an easy task for that composer. And I do not envy them at all. I'm most, there's a couple of things I'm also curious about. Sigourney Weaver's character in it. She apparently plays the teenage daughter of 
of Jake. So that's going to be interesting to see Sequoia Weaver playing like a 15-year-old. But it also shows at the same time how incredible technology is for a 70-plus woman to play a 15-year-old girl. I can't believe we're going back to this world. It feels very Same. surreal that it's actually happening. And the reviews that have come out so far are pretty strong. And I'm very excited to see the movie. Am I excited for a three plus hour movie? Maybe not particularly at this age, you know, as a, as a full-time working employee and working a very long job and then yeah. going to a three hour movie. after movie, work. Yeah. I'm not excited for that. But that being said, I'm very excited to see what James Cameron has in store, seeing what he has done over these last 13 years, preparing us to go back to the world of Pandora. Like you, I'm very intrigued to see what Sigourney Weaver is going to bring to this, you know, considering that she's in her seventies and she's playing a child in this movie. Yeah. But I find it so impressive listening to interviews with her, where she talked about how, she did a lot of underwater training. She held her yeah, breath exactly. for six minutes. And I'm like, girl, I'm 20, I'm almost 25. I can't even hold my breath underwater for two minutes. Exactly. Like that's, I, I find it so incredible. Like the passion that all these people have about this movie, James Cameron himself, the entire cast, the ensemble's big. Kate Winslet reuniting with James Cameron is a I massive know. deal because I she know. had talked about so long ago. She's like, I don't know if I'll ever work with James Cameron again because she jokingly said, oh, my time on Titanic was tumultuous and not the best. But yeah. now she's working with him again. She was around our age when she worked with him the first time. Yeah, she was. In her early 20s. And now she's in her almost 50s yep. working with him again. 25 years later and it's so exciting because james cameron's not the kind of filmmaker that usually brings actors that he had worked with prior back i mean yeah. sigourney weaver's exception obviously Arnold schwarzenegger and linda hamilton but for the most part it really hasn't happened and I'm so excited that Kate Winslet's going to be in this, especially as a Navi. That's that's incredible. That's awesome. Same. And the trailers have been great. All the footage that we've seen so far, in my opinion, has been really exciting. And I'm really curious to see where this film goes. I'm so I'm very nervous, but I'm also very Same. very excited. So yeah, I cannot wait for Avatar: The Way of Water. It's the last major release of the year. I think it has potential to be possibly competing with Top Gun as the highest grossing film of the year. I don't know if it could beat Top Gun. But I, I think, think it is. I think it's going I, I think it's going to, you think it's going to beat Top Gun? I really do. Why do you think that? Based on the projections, like it's expected to make $175 million in yeah. its first week. And not just that too. Like reason why Top Gun Maverick was so successful was the rewatch factor. Yes. Like people saw it two, three, four, five times in the mm -hmm. theaters. And I think Avatar of the Way of Water, you're going to see the exact same thing like all of his past James Cameron films. And also the 3D helps out too. Very much so. And it that's something that Top Gun didn't have. Top Gun may have had IMAX and Dolby, but this literally has IMAX yeah. 3D and exactly. 3D. And this movie is clearly made for 3D. And I haven't seen a 3D movie. I can't even tell you. Prior to Avatar's re-release re a few months ago, yeah. I can't even tell you the last time I saw a movie in 3D. I can't even tell you. It's been so long. 
It actually was the first Avatar for me. That's the last. Are you 3D serious? Movie. It's been I'm that serious. long. I've never seen a 3D movie since then. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. That's crazy. There, there have been some really cool 3D movie stuff come out in between, but yeah, for the most part, I try to avoid. But yeah, the hype yeah, for so. Avatar: The Way of Water is incredibly high. I cannot wait to see it. If you guys follow me on Letterboxd and socials, you guys will find out my thoughts on the movie. So looking forward to that. So closing thoughts on James Cameron. Seriously, he really is an all-time great filmmaker. Yeah. I don't care what anyone says. Is he a little pretentious? Sure. Maybe. Is he a little snobbish? Yes. But you cannot deny the dedication that he puts into every single project he puts himself. But you cannot deny the passion and dedication that he puts into every project he's involved in. And that shows it shows through the craft that is on display in all of his films. And I love that about the man. And I love that he keeps making films. Do I wish he was making something that wasn't avatar related? Absolutely. Am I excited to see what he brings to this world of Avatar? Absolutely. Yeah. I trust Jim Cameron. I cannot wait to see what he does. I hope he gets another Oscar in the near future. Maybe he won't, but I feel like maybe down the road he could. But that being said, I love James Cameron. Me He's too. one of the best filmmakers. He's so great. So what are your closing thoughts on the wonderful James Cameron? James Cameron is a visionary. He's not afraid to go outside the box. He's not afraid to think differently. And he's not afraid to pay attention to all the crafts that people tend to forget about. I think the one thing I like about his movies in general is that they're long, but they don't feel long. Like a three-hour movie could feel like a half hour. And I think the I think the reason why James Cameron is so successful is that with his movies, you can rewatch them over and over again. Like I can't even count on my hands how many times I've seen Avatar. Or Titanic, like, like the, he just has the ability to make movies that you just want to rewatch over and over again. One thousand percent, one thousand percent agree with you on that. So, Matt, thank you so much for coming on today to talk to me about James Cameron. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank so, you so thank much you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So, where could the people find you online? I'm Matthew Anzalo on Twitter and Matthew Anzalo in my YouTube channel. Saturday, I will be doing personal Golden Globes, so what I would nominate if I was a Globes voter. And probably Avatar with the Way of Water will be factored into that. Because I made a list without it yet. (laughs) I look forward to that for sure. And you guys can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Letterboxd, simply at Brian. So if you you guys could subscribe to the show on any podcast and platform wherever you listen to it. You guys could follow the show on all social medias, Twitter and Instagram. Share the show around with all your friends, film geek or not. Tell them that this is a hell of a movie podcast. And we have only two episodes left of this year, guys. Wow. We are at the tail end of the year. We are very close to wrapping up 2022 and kicking off 2023. But our last two episodes of the year, we have very exciting topics. We're going to be talking about our favorite Christmas films and our favorite Noah Bombach films. So those are very two exciting episodes to close out the year. Stay tuned for more, guys. Seriously, thank you so much for following me on this journey of Film Fragments. And I will see you guys for the very next episode of Film Fragments. Take care, everybody.